The reading this morning is um, <clears throat> from Genesis 2, uh, verses 18 to 25. It can be found on page 5 of your Bibles. <clears throat> the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave the names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But Adam, no suitable helper, was found. Sorry, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed the place up with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The paradox of our times is that as I speak to you now, we have taller buildings but shorter tempers. We have wider motorways but narrower viewpoints. We spend more but have less. We buy more and it appears that we enjoy less. Though we have multiplied our possessions, we have reduced our values. Often we talk too much, love too seldom, and hate too often. What I'd like to put before you as we think about Genesis chapter 2 and verses 18 to 25 is a parable not from the Bible, that reflects something about human nature. The story is told about uh, a man who had absolutely nothing. But God gave him a gift. God gave him ten apples. He gave him the first three apples so that the man would have something nice to eat. God gave the man the second three apples so that he would have something to trade with in order to get a place to live and clothes to wear. God gave the man the last three apples so that he could improve 
his well-being. And then God, out of his great generosity, gave a tenth apple. So that, in the light of God's great goodness, this man would have something to give back. So, the man devoured the first three apples and they were very nice. He traded the second three apples and got somewhere really nice to live. He traded the other three apples and got something nice to wear. And life was nice. And so he comes to the tenth apple. And being a very intelligent fellow, he looks at this apple and he becomes even more convinced that it is better than all the rest. And of course he knew in his heart that God had given him the tenth apple that he would have something to give back. The trouble was, the longer he looked at the tenth apple, it seemed the better, bigger, juicier it appeared. And he began to think, because he's a rational person, after all, God owns all the apples. One more wouldn't really matter. So, the man ate the tenth apple and gave God the core. That may well be a reflection, not entirely, but largely, on human nature. When is enough enough? And what we have in this uh, reading this morning is before this selfishness, what we call the fall or sin, entering into mankind, begins to divide and fragment society and relationships. Even there, man is ill at ease with himself. The word is that he's alone. What I want to put before you is this, that the point of the parable and the introduction is simply this. I ask you to think about it. There is an inevitable link between materialism and relationship at any level. Simply on the basis the pursuit of well-being and its maintenance occupies so much time. And it isn't very long. And we're not just talking about very wealthy people. We're talking about the society all of us live in, in varying degrees. And the prevailing values of our society influence me and you much more than we can imagine. But never more profoundly than in this context, and it's the heading of the sermon, openness and intimacy. So our key verse is in verse 18, the first verse of the reading. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Uh, 
Nine years ago I preached on this passage and I preached entirely on marriage. And I think I missed the point. So, um, I've got a different window into the same passage today. Clearly it has a lot to say about marriage. But not everything it says about relationships beyond marriage. Indeed encompassing all human relationships for the need for these two things, openness and intimacy. I know that some of you folk here, you may not like me saying it, are reluctant to be open because you don't want to be vulnerable. But not being open has consequences as well as choosing to be. And within a Christian context of fellowship, it is worth taking the risk and coping with the hurt and growing through it because none of us are perfect. The home group questions will take up these issues as you will see on Thursday and perhaps you can come with a, a greater degree of, of preparation. Okay, so let's, there are four questions in the course of the sermon. The first is this. What makes me who I am here today and what makes you who you are here this morning? What is it? Well, of course, there are various answers. What we are by nature and nurture. The influence of our parents and our genes, the influence of the home and the environment, the things that we watch on television, the things that we read, the relationships that we have shape us. The priorities, the values that we embrace or don't shape us and govern our relationship. But I would want to say this one thing. That the compelling answer is this. What makes me who I am and you who you are is other people. Other people. Perhaps the thing that we find most difficult is it just at the same time the things, the people we need the most? Parents, of course, families, friends, colleagues, teachers. Relationships are what make people. How do we cope with our relationships? Are we disappointed? With other people? Are other people disappointed with you? And what are we doing about it? Or do we simply shrug our shoulders and say, well, this is what I am? And, and of course, added to that, if essentially it's other people, other people whom I relate to by God's grace earths in me as a conduit, if you like, the grace of God. Fellowship is an oft-used word. It's more than two fellows in a ship, isn't it? Fellowship is taking the risk to pray with people, to share with people, to listen, to learn, to grow. And that is how God chooses to work, through people. Indeed, when you think about it, what is essentially evangelism? It's people reaching people. I would much prefer one person to go up to another person and invite them to come either to church or a special event than a thousand leaflets. I would. 
But it's more than just people reaching people. It's people loving people. And it's people relating to people. We will come to the, the question about men and women and husbands and wives and on all of the issues about that. But essentially, trying to answer the question, yes, my fundamental DNA, it is people who make me who I am, for better, for worse. Second question as we think about this passage what does verses 18 and 25 tell us about the roles and relationships between men and women? Have you noticed uh, the absence of women in the new cabinet? Is this a male-dominated church? Is society one that tends to repress And what about the relationship between men and women? Home, work, church, society. Just look in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 and think about this for a moment. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him. Male and female, he created them. And there you have the essence of relationship. God in relationship. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. This is Trinity Sunday. And that relationship is built into our DNA. We are what we are because of relationship. God made man, mankind, for relationship. And in the coming of Jesus Christ, it was to restore that fractured relationship. God made man to enjoy and to, en to be enriched mutually by relationship, not to exploit not to manipulate. And yet ours is a society shot through with all of that. I would quote to you, it's a well-used quote at, at weddings, and it's from uh, the famous commentator Matthew Henry, who was born in 1662. And this is what he said in commenting on these verses. The man was made of a rib out of the side of Adam. Not out of his head to rule over him. Not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him. But out of his side to be equal to him. Under his arm to be protected. Near his heart to be loved. Now that might sound a little bit romantic. So it is. And so it should be. And it's relationship. And in whatever way our society has distorted and devalued these relationships. This is God's purpose. And if we have a tendency to demean or to manipulate, then we should repent of that. Interestingly, in verse 18, coming back to that, the, the phrase helper, helper, 
doesn't mean, well, here I am, I'm getting along, along with my life all right, and uh, if I get somebody's help, I can get things done a bit quicker. No. The meaning of helper also doesn't mean get somebody to do all the rubbish jobs. Helper means this. I cannot do this on my own. I cannot. I can only do it with someone else. With someone else. A few years ago we had the, our tree in the front of the manse um, shaped so the wind could blow through it. And it was very interesting to watch the tree surgeon. He was, although he had obvious skills, he was totally dependent on the person in the ground telling him where to cut, what to do, how to shape. It was a two-man job. Or what is it? Proverbial, isn't it? Otherwise you wouldn't see the wood for the trees. And often we are like that. Because we are far too independent. And really, you know, we, we should stop doing that. Most people live on the Sinatra syndrome, don't they? I did it my way. And it looks like it. And you're emotionally not developed in the way that God wants you to be because you won't take the risk. Now this is a challenge for each of us as we expose ourselves to the grace of God that we need someone else. We need each other. However, we can lift that to a higher level that constantly throughout the Old Testament the reference quote to helper is used of God. And we have the reference there, and I'll just read it to you in, in Psalm 70 and verse 5. And this is what it says. Hasten, O God, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. I can't do it on my own. And then the psalm ends. Yet I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help, my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. I can't do it without you. I can't. So the helper here, yes, it's a helper that our relationships, marriage, friendships, and so on, but here it describes God Almighty. So the creation of Eve is not an inferior creation. The different, same in essence, but different. An equal partner. Of course, we shall see next week, when you get to Genesis 3, there's the breakdown. There's the breakup of this close relationship. And from Genesis 3, you will see that we, you and I, have been playing the blame game ever since. As is the case with Adam and Eve and their relationship. So as a result of sin that has fractured human relationships, relationships are complicated. The way that we think, the way we relate. 
And I think the roles and relationships between men and women are more complicated in church, in home and society. Let's ask a third question as you think about this passage. What do these verses tell us about marriage? Well, obviously they tell us a very great deal. Adam is given another who is called Eve. And here you have three things. The first, you have similarity. In essence, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Do you see this? Here is Adam and Eve, and he says this, out of his own body. But there is also, and don't we know this, dissimilarity. Great, we use the phrase, don't we? Men from Mars, women from Venus, thinking, and rightly so, rightly so. So the dissimilarity, God does not create a second man, does he? And it's been rightly said, God didn't, God didn't create Steve, he created Eve, who was complementary. And what does that say to our society? And when you think, apply that today, whatever the changing values and attitudes towards uh, sexuality, same-sex relationships and so on, in man and woman we have two identical beings, but very different. Identical in essence, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, but very different in expression woman. So yes, it says a great deal about marriage. Uh, let me give a little illustration of this, that in any relationship, male or female, friendship, colleagues, church, marriage, children, parents, one of the things that we do need to do is to spend time. And that is countercultural. Relationships either flounder or flourish on the basis of spending quality time. Here is a love story. A young man, a young woman, deeply in love. He is to go to the Navy for three years. He wrote to her every day with every opportunity. After the three years was up, the happy wedding day. You know what happened? He married the postman. She married the postman. Don't do that. Maybe the postman was a woman. The point, the point. Relationships flourish when you spend time with people. And they grow apart when we don't. Now that's obvious. That's obvious. Do you remember uh, people being very cynical towards Margaret Thatcher in the heyday who suggested that some of the businessmen should take their wives with them periodically because of the breakup of relationships among politicians. You spend time with people. You grow apart when you don't. But that is not only true in marriage. 
No friendship can survive if you are standoffish, if you refuse to be open, if you reject intimacy at all levels. So finally, a, a last question. What do you think verses 18 to 25 tells us about being single? About being single. Well, in marriage, first of all, that which is missing, and God says not good to be alone, is made good. Loneliness is eased, and rightly so. But it would be wrong to say from now on that Openness and intimacy is exclusive to marriage. I mean, what about single people? What about lone parents? What about the married, the separated, the divorced, the widowed? What about openness and intimacy? So this is by no means exclusive to marriage. It says a great deal about it, for sure, but it says an awful lot more. And at the very least, it ought to say to us, at whatever level we are at today, that we should value human relationship much more than what we do, and not to take people for granted. It's one of the sad things to observe in, in, in funerals and grieving families is this, that it's only when people have gone that people say the best things. And you can't help but think, why didn't you say that while you were alive? What is it about relationship? How often I've quoted my father, give me flowers when I'm alive. Don't bring them to my grave. All of life is made up of taking our opportunities, of being willing to be vulnerable, and with that intimacy to take the risk things may not work out the way that you want them to. So, equally, in any relationship, it's not good for people to be alone, is made good by God's gift of relationship. Experience so often tells us that you can be alone, however, in marriage and marriage is having very bad press and there are couples quite sincerely preferring just to be together and keep their options open just to say yes marriage is the answer is clearly in our society not so It's how we respond to the relationship of marriage. Seeing it as a gift and not a right. Seeing it as something that is temporal, not permanent. Doing what we can, while we can, with the opportunities that we have. And indeed, the converse can be the case, and I know from experience, that there are people who are fulfilled being single in a way that married people are not. And although that might sound like a caricature, it's true. It's not good for man to be alone, 
that marriage is not a magic wand. You say to couples preparing for marriage, if you're unhappy, single, you'll be more married. Do something about it. Jesus was single. He's our role model. We look to him. So both married and single need exactly the same. Openness and intimacy. Yes, you and I need one another. Others need you and you need them. You find in the relationship with the Lord Jesus how he was willing to do that. To expose his thoughts and hearts to the disciples. And to be betrayed with a kiss. And to be denied by those closest to him. He knows about that. And to those very people like that he says, A new, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Be open, be vulnerable. By this will all people know that you are my disciples. If you have this love, or can I change that? If you have this quality relationship, you cannot love in a vacuum. No man is an island. All those statements are true and much more. Openness and intimacy. I hope as a result of this Sermon that you and I will be more open and experience deeper intimacy in the relationships that we already have now and ask God to deepen them and help us to be what we want other people to be for us. Be open. Be intimate. Life is too short not to be.